We're going to go through the book of Ephesians tonight, just real quickly. It's six chapters of the Bible, and we will not be able to go verse by verse through it. I would encourage you to do what I did and just go through and underline or highlight every time you see a reference to Jesus Christ. It's all over the book of Hebrews, and it really is the theme of the book. It is the blessings of being in Christ. And you'll see that many times. Uh, you'll see uh, the word Christ Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and, and you'll see that, and you'll also see the pronouns that refer to him. And he's the antecedent, and that's the pronoun. You'll see it scores of times in six chapters. But a wonderful book of the Bible. The church at Ephesus, of course, is, is, was started by the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 19. He comes there. He stays there probably longer than he stays any one place in all of his missionary journeys. Three years. Three years he stays there in, in Ephesus. And it was a, it was a, church, it was a city of, of culture. They had actresses and actors there. They had the Colosseums. They had plays. They had musicians. It was definitely a place of culture. It was a place of commerce. And they certainly had, they, it was a port city, and then they had, they had highways going there, a lot of commerce going in and out there. And then it was a place of cults and sin and debauchery, terrible, uh, very wicked, uh, wicked city in that way. However, it was a place where the Apostle Paul came into, and there he stayed for three years. He taught in the school of Tyrannus and became extremely good at training people for the ministry. As I think about our missionary servants that are here, one thing that every missionary needs to do is learn to disciple and train others. I think it's so important. It just drives me crazy sometimes when I find servants of God who have been a long time in a place, and then when it's time for them to transition out, they have no Timothys. They have no Tituses. They have no Archippus. They have no Titius. No one to, 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 hand, to, to, to take over after them. And there's no success without successors. And everybody, by the way, you can say, well, Pastor, I, that is terrible. That's awful. It's awful, too, when a Sunday school teacher leaves his class and there's no other Sunday school teachers. It's difficult when a bus captain wants to step down and there's no one to take his place. It's difficult when a Sunday school or a nursery worker has not developed somebody else. Everything you do for Jesus, you ought to help somebody else do the same thing. Don't be so insecure as to you don't want to train someone like you're the only one that can do that. Every once in a while, you've got people that are really good at something. They won't trust anyone else to do that. And you're going to regret that day. One day when you stand before God. And they may not do it the same way you can do it, but everybody ought to be training somebody to do what they can do. I love what Apostle Paul said here. In Acts chapter 20, you'll see when he came back through, there were a lot of trained servants of Christ who met him on the shores of Miletus in Acts chapter 20. That's where he said, I count not my life dear to myself, but I want to finish my course with joy. Uh, that's where he met with them. He didn't go into Ephesus, but he said, you guys meet me by the boat. And so someone went around and got all the pastors and all the trained workers, and they showed up on the shores of Miletus, and he told them. He said, you know how I was with you? In tears and difficulties? He said, I was with you in all seasons, lying in wait for the Jews and the persecutions and the long nights. But he says, you know this, I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you. He said, whatever I could do to help you grow in the Lord, that's what I gave you. Night and day, 
I invested in you. We need a revival of that. I need to do that. You need to do that. I was speaking to some pastors recently and, and a, a group of pastors, and I challenged them with the same thing. And one pastor who's been pastoring for many years said, man, John, you're convicting me. He said, you know, that discipleship and that training, you know, is so important. And I've been, I've been watching some of, the, some of the situation going on. And he is trying, that pastor is trying to go around the country and find someone to work at his church. And I said, dear brother, they're all over your church. It doesn't mean that God can't move somebody. But there are people that are worth to be developed in your Sunday school classes, in your church. And all of us ought to make somebody else's, their spiritual maturity, our personal responsibility. Listen, if you know how to do something, train someone else to do it. Love somebody else. Disciple someone else. That's why I think discipling, you can find other people that have gifts and strengths, and you can help them be better at what God wants them to do. The Bible says we're supposed to consider one another, provoke each other to love and good works. Well, this church became a great church. Matter of fact, it is still, after Paul is gone home to be with the Lord, 30 years later, this church is still going on. And John, in the book of the Revelation, writes to this church. Do you remember what kind of a church they were? They were people who were hardworking. They believed the right doctrine. They were disciplined uh, against people who were doing the wrong thing. But they had one problem. They had left their first. They put Jesus second. He's not just supposed to be significant. He's supposed to be preeminent. And they had, they had subsidized him. They had put him in a sec. They, they, they had put him underneath something else. He said, you've left your first love. You forgot about loving. By the way, that's something sometimes a church has been in existence for a long time. And Christians who have been saved a long time, we get into the motions. And we do what we do because we're supposed to. We have character. We know what's important. And we forget to do it because we love the Lord. We just write our tithe check. What's the tithe check? Let's write it. How much we owe the Lord? Okay, let's do that. And when we get to missions, okay, let's get to missions. Get the faith promise too. Let's write that out. But we don't think about him. There's no love in the shine. We did what we were supposed to do. I've told you this story before, but Vance Havner years ago, he was an evangelist. He didn't have any children. The Lord did not give he and his Sarah any children. And Sarah preceded him in death. But every week, and he would go out visit, he'd go out to preach. Sarah often would not go with him, but she would pack his bags immaculately. And she would always have him everything he needed, every, every item, all of his uh, information there. And he'd put it in the suitcase, and she would always shine his shoes before he would leave. She liked the little, the little verse, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel, because I want to make sure your shoes are nice. He said, whenever my Sarah passed away, he said, I used to get my shoes shined. But usually it was at an airport or downtown at the shoe store, or I would sometimes have someone, pay someone to shine them for me. And they all look good. They look good when Sarah did them. They look good when I had them done at the airport. But when I did them at the airport, there was just no love in the shine. You know, when we serve God, there ought to be obvious love in our shine. But we do what we do because we get to, not because we have to. The book of Ephesians is a beautiful book of the Bible, and it's written to a great group of people. But as Paul's M.O. was, his first part of his books, most of the time, were very doctrinal, and he concluded with the practical. And we see that here in this passage of Scripture. I want to give you just real quickly, just a couple thoughts. Um, the, the, the theme, the book, is about the church. 
and the blessings of being in Christ. That is a sub-theme there. Look at chapter 3. I think I told you to turn to chapter 1, but chapter 3, verse number 21. Let's read it together. Can we please? This kind of summarizes the book. Let's read it. Verse 21. Ready? Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus. Father, please help me to share these truths in your word, and I pray to be applicable to all of our friends here. Bless the teenagers as they are inspired and encouraged and instructed in the things of God. Challenge their hearts. Be with our junior high kids as go to camp. Thank you for almost 80 of them who are going to camp on Monday. I pray you would use them and protect them and help them. Bless their time in here, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This verse says, Unto him be glory in the church throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. And that's really, it's about Jesus and him getting the glory and the good opinion that he deserves, not just now, but for all ages. And that's kind of what a church is. Last week, oh, uh, Lydia and Phil stood on this platform and got married. This week, James uh, Barnes and Sarah Ruck are going to get married. And we're excited about it. It's going to be a beautiful wedding. But you know, when, a, when, when God calls the, uh, he, when it talks about the relationship of a marriage, he says, Jesus is the groom and the bride, uh, or the, girl, the, the church is the bride. And the command that God gives to the husbands is to husband, groom, you love your wife the way Christ loves the church. And you love her the way you love yourself, and you present her a spotless bride. When... Um, when, you, when, a, when Linda came to John, I should have made her better. She should be a better woman because she came to me. Because when we came to Jesus, he definitely makes us better. And he says to us in that passage of Scripture, he said, Now, husbands, you love your wife, just like Christ loved the church. And so Christ, what he does for us, he loves us. That's his greatest leverage for us. But the, the, the church, like the bride... I sat down with Lydia last week, and I said, Lydia, this wedding's all about you. You're gonna, it's your dress. No one's going to remember what Phil wore that day. They don't really care. They don't give a rip as long as he's got his clothes on. But for you, they're going to look at you, and it's all about you. I said, the wedding's about you, Lydia, but the marriage has got to be a lot about Phil. Because God's called Phil to do something, and you need to be there to facilitate God's purpose for him, what he needs to accomplish. And we'll, we'll, we'll celebrate with you for the wedding, but I hope you're a much better wife than you are a bride. I hope you'll be fulfilling the purpose of the groom. You know, the truth of the matter is not as a format or anything of that nature, but that's what every wife, a good wife, says, you know, what, what has a God put my husband on the planet to do? What can I do to help him fulfill his purpose? Well, you know what Christ's purpose is? Is to get the world the gospel. The Son of Man came to what? Seeking to save that which was lost. So a good church is in the, process, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the purpose of trying to fulfill the purpose of the groom. And say, what is it that he wants me to get done? That's why all of us ought to be a soul winner. So all of us ought to be discipling people. So all of us ought to be training someone. All of us ought to be praying. All of us ought to be giving. All of us ought to be doing something for the glory of God, that he would have glory in the church both now and forever. Amen. Look at chapter 4, if you would, please. And he kind of gives some more information. Verse number 13. Let's read chapter 4, verse 13. Are you ready? Till we all come in the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and to a perfect man, and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He said, here's what uh, the church is supposed to do. It's supposed to become like Jesus. 
The stature of the fullness of Christ. Verse number 12, you see that why God gave us different leaders in our church. Let's read verse 12. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work. Know why you're here tonight? To be perfected. You're here to start growing up. Grown-ups understand life's not about them. Babies think life is all about them. They, what they want, what they want. And many people, they, they, you know, being grown up does not mean you've matured. There's many 60-year-old babies out there where life is still about them. They said the church's job is to mature people so they do the work of the eternal groom so that they edify the body of Christ. This is his plan. And those are kind of some key verses there. Let's look at real quick at the outline. Verses, chapters 1 through 3, you'll see in your booklet there, in your sheet, heavenly calling of the church. The heavenly calling of the church. Now beside that, put the word doctrinal. Some of our greatest Bible doctrines are found in those three chapters of Ephesians chapter 1. You'll see, you'll see the Lord Jesus. You'll see his Father. You'll see the Holy Spirit all through the doctrinal pages of chapters 1 through 3. Look at letter A, if you would please. The church is a body. It's a body that the Father planned it. The Son paid for it, paid the price for it. So the Father planned it, the Son paid for it, and the Holy Spirit protects it. If you read chapter 1, you'll see great doctrinal truths there. I love to look at this. I think it would be helpful for you to underline this. Look at verse, chapter 1, verse number 13 and 14, would you please? Chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. This is a beautiful, beautiful example of eternal security of the believer. In whom also ye trusted after ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So this talking about what are the elements of, of people getting saved right there? Can you see one element of people getting saved? Verse 13, that first part, what is it? Trusting, right? And that's faith. What's another element? Hearing. Hearing. And what's another element there? Truth. Yeah. And then he calls it that, that truth, that body of truth is the gospel of what? Salvation. Okay, so, so when someone taught me it, I heard it, I trusted I accepted that truth, then in whom, after that ye, what? Believe. Can someone get saved if they don't believe? That's, that's, the, that's the key of salvation. He said, they believe, then ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Verse 14, read it with me. Once again, talking about the Holy Spirit, which is the earnest of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. You know, one of, the, one of the ways that I know that I'm never going to go to hell is because when I heard the gospel, I believed the gospel, I accepted the truth of the gospel, the Holy Spirit became my earnest. If you ever go buy a house, the, your, your real estate agent is going to ask you, you got earnest? You got to put some money down. And then you put the money down, they're not supposed to be able to sell it to anybody else. Your earnest money, he's your guarantee. And where's the Holy Spirit come? He comes and lives in me. How long does he stay there? Forever. He said, when I come into you, I'll be with you forever. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So where is one place that the Holy Spirit is never going to go? Because he's God. He's never going to hell. So guess who else is not going to hell? Anybody who has it. Because <laughs> he doesn't make you, you a, a hotel to check in and out of. 
I went to a hotel on Monday, and I checked out this morning. But I knew when I went there, I didn't go there to stay. I didn't put up my pictures, my family pictures. I didn't put up curtains. I didn't uh, pick out stuff in there. I'm just going to stay there two nights, good night in the morning. But the Holy Spirit didn't make me a hotel. When I get mad, I can grieve him, but he never leaves me. He can be grieved, but he doesn't leave. But once he's in, he's the earnest. He's my guarantee that I have an inheritance with God forever, and I'll never spend a second in hell. I don't know about you. That gets me all excited. And I like that. Okay, let's look real quickly at the next one. So we see the father planned that the church would be a body. The son paid the price for the body. And we see that even in, um, in Acts chapter 20 where he says that um, one of the reasons why you ought to be a member of a church is because Jesus paid his blood for the church. If Jesus paid his blood for the church, do you think you ought to go to church? Do you think you ought to serve in the church? Do you think you ought to be a member of the church? I think it's like, why would I argue with that? If he paid his blood for the church, I ought to make it much about, about the church as well. If he thinks it's that, that valuable to give his blood for the church. And by the way, it's interesting. That's a, that's a type in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. It's a, it's a place of the deity. So the Bible says that he shows his, he, that God's blood is given to us through the Son, Jesus Christ. Okay, let's look at the next one here. Letter B, the church is his temple. It's his body, it's his temple, and then chapter 3, it's, his, it's a mystery. It's the mystery that people couldn't understand, and the Jews had a hard time understanding that Gentiles were going to be a part of the body. They thought it was only, they had a corner, they had a monopoly on it, but they didn't. God had to tell them, listen, this is the mystery that's hidden for the whole world. God wants them to know about that. God is a global conquest God. He wants uh, people from every tribe and every, every origin, every race to be in his body and his, uh, his group. Okay, number two, chapter four through six is basically very earthly, the earthly conduct of the church. We saw the calling of the church, the heavenly calling from God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, his temple, his mystery. But let's talk about the conduct of the church, and this is practical. Once again, doctrinal and practical. Let's look real quickly at letter A. The church is a new man in chapter 4. He said, put on the new man. And this new man is unified around the purposes of God. It's growing. Every healthy church ought to grow and add new members to it, new, new people getting saved and baptized. And it's distinct. It walks not as the Gentiles. It's distinct. So it really, I, I think I should have probably put distinct there. It's unified. It's growing. It's distinct. It walks not as the Gentiles or not like the world. Letter B there, the church is a bride in chapter 5. That's where you have many marriage principles there. And, and you talk about the wife submits herself to her husband as, as the church submits itself to Christ. He's the head of the body. He's the savior of the body. He's the leader of the relationship. And then letter C, the church is a soldier. And that's where you have these wonderful passages on um, to stand, having done all to stand and, and put on the whole armor of God. He's a soldier. So church is a soldier. It's a bride. It's a man. It's a mystery. It's a temple. It's a body. Those are in that succession. All right, let's look real quickly at a couple facts. Ephesians was a spiritual church. And uh, once again, spiritual churches last, can last a long time. And it did last a long time. And I'm thankful for it. Number two, Ephesians was a deep and doctrinal, is a, is a, is a, Ephesus was a spiritual church. Ephesians is a deep and doctrinal book. 
And I don't have time to do, do justice with this tonight, but you can look, especially, I would encourage every one of you to take time to look at Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. You'll find much of your Bible doctrine in any, any area of New Testament truth in those three chapters. And then you'll find in chapters 4, it deals with attitudes, five actions, and then, of course, uh, in chapter 6, speaks of, of family relationships and so forth and so on. Okay, let's look at the next one. Letter number three, Ephesians is a Christ-centered letter. I've already given that thought to you. Here's a couple lessons to ponder as we close. Number one, love the church's meetings. Love the church's members. Love the church's ministers, Sunday school teachers, assistant pastors, deacons, those who serve. Love the church's mission and love the church's master. Can you say them with me? Let me get them there, ready? Meetings, members, ministers, mission. Very good. Just the ladies. Come on, say it, ladies. Ready? Meetings. Men, here we go. Meetings. Mission, master. These are things I think will be good for us to get excited about. You want to get excited about something? Get excited about the meetings of the church. Those of you on, on live stream, I want to encourage you. Uh, if you are ill or your health is compromised, I am so glad you're watching tonight. But if you can be in church on a Wednesday night, you should be. <laughs> Can't have internet church the correct way. I know that may aggravate some of you, but I just believe it's true. I think it's better. It called out assembly. Come assembling together. Let's try to do it. Let's get back on that. I think it's important. This, uh, one of the things I believe about the coronavirus is going to separate committed Christians. People who are getting used to sitting in pajamas and drinking a cup of coffee and watching church on TV, watching it and listening on the radio, that's not God's plan. I'm thankful we had that technology, but it's better for you and me to be in the body of Christ. Years ago, I became a pastor. I found out that there were men counting the money during church. Was, they, 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 there were several men, and they just volunteered to count the money in church. And uh, they had, the, they had the, the sermon coming in through a, through a microphone, but uh, they were missing every service because they were out counting the funds, you know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And I, and I, didn't, I didn't, I was a young pastor, 32. I didn't know, really know what to do with it. They were older men than me. And, but, you know, I started watching. They just started getting more and more carnal and disconnected. I suggested to them, I said, how about this, guys? How about we'll get this done afterwards? Even if I can help you, we can have some folks help you tomorrow, whatever. And a couple of them said, you know what? Yeah, it's okay. But um, most of them, one by one, left the church. And they didn't, do, they didn't leave it to another good church. They left the church almost altogether. And it grieved me for those three, four men. I was sad by that. But one of the men stayed, and he said, you know what, Pastor? You're right. There's something about being in that building, something about being in that service that was a lot different than just sitting and listening to it on, on our, while we're counting money, talking and things of that nature. There's something about being in the house of God that's important. Got to get excited about the meetings of the church. Get excited about the members of the church. Love each other. The devil is a master at, dis, at discord. He wants to cause a, 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 a breach in relationships between a man and his wife, between parents and their children, between pastor and people, between people and people, Christians and Christians. He loves that. That's, that's, uh, that's, the, that's the thing that God hates the most. If you look at Proverbs chapter 6, 
The devil is all about it. If God hates it, the devil's all over it. Don't let yourself become greed with other brothers and sisters. What can we do? We can, we can learn to love. Love covers the multitude of sins. Great peace have they which love thy law. That's not easily offended, not quit. The people don't quit who learn to love the word of God. That's why I love discipleship. I found out real quickly that a program of a church, the pastor of the church, the property of the church will not make strong Christians. Strong Christians are made when they fall in love with the Bible. When they fall in love with the Bible, they'll fall in love with the God of the Bible. But you've got to be exposed to that. So important. You live long enough, I live long enough, I'm going to hurt you, you're going to hurt me. But people who love Christ, they just keep on going. They get over that. They understand, well, pastor just, you know, was an idiot again. But God's still God. The Bible's still true. Truth is still vital. I love Jesus. And they're not easily offended, not easily talked, talked away. Uh, we'll offend each other. But get excited about the meetings of the church, the members of the church, your leadership. Brother Keith and Michelle do such a great job with our Sunday schools and our A bus ministry. And I'll meet with the bus workers in just a few moments. But they do it every week. And how thankful I am. I think it's good that we encourage our brothers and sisters. Uh, you, you, you got a Sunday school class? You got a teacher? Encourage them. When you can encourage a leader, you can encourage multitudes by that leader. You're a Sunday school teacher, you got a superintendent, make things easier for that superintendent. Don't be, don't be a drain. Don't come in late. Don't be unresponsive to the, to the calls to do something. You be, you be there early and you help them. If you're in the nursery worker, then be there early. Help whoever your superior is and, and strengthen them. Get excited about the, the ministers, those who lead us. And then make sure we get excited about the mission of the church, and that's getting the gospel. Locally, around the corner, and around the world. And the last thing, stay excited about Jesus, the master of the church. Last thing, real quickly, consider the outline of prayer. Let's close with this, if you can, please. I've shared this with you many times. I can't read Ephesians without bringing attention to this particular part. We see here, Apostle Paul gives us a, a, a sneak peek into his prayer life. Would you all look at it with me? Would you discipline yourself to look at Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 14 in closing? Ephesians 3, verse 14, and let me ask all the men to read verse 14. Would you please, men, here we go. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse number 15, ladies, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth. So he says, here's the reason I pray. And here's what I say. I call out to the God of heaven, who is all the family that's in the family, all everybody in the family. Verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his what? Have you seen that glory keep popping up? God's, God's interested in his glory, in his reputation. That's what it means. Glory, I think a good definition is to give others a good, a good opinion of. You know, why you mow your grass? Why you take care of your kids? Why do you pay your bills on time? Because you want others to have a good opinion of the Lord. This morning I took, before I left the hotel room this morning, I keep referring to that, for, forgive me, I don't know why it's on my mind, but I took two of my boys with me, and I said, all right, boys, you don't have to fix the bed perfectly, but put the bed, fix the bed. Put all the towels in one place. Clean up our mess completely. Anything we didn't do right, put all the trash in the trash can. Let's make sure everything looks good because I'm going to leave a gospel track. I'm going to leave a gospel track, and I want them to come in and say, you know what, wow. These three people stayed here two days, and 
you know, it, it, it needs to be clean, but it's, it's not bad. I want them to have a good opinion. When we take kids on youth trips or senior trips, I challenge them oftentimes, or athletic trips, I'm sure Brother Woosley and Brother Cooper challenge them and other people. Listen, leave the room in a good situation so that people have a good opinion of Jesus. We know why you work hard at your work, so your boss, whenever God visits him, when someone knocks on his door, when someone dies in his family, 10 years from now, they'll think, I remember that Christian. I remember that neighbor. I remember that person that did. Oftentimes people get saved years after they hear the gospel because of the testimony of someone who gave a good opinion of the Lord. He said, I'm going to pray that God, according to his glory, would grant you, look if you would please, the rest of the verse, verse 16, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. One thing is when someone asks me to pray for me, or if I ask you to pray for you, or I, so I pray for my kids, I pray for Linda for this. Oftentimes I pray for our assistant pastors. I say, Lord, strengthen them with your might in the inner man. Make them strong, inner man people. Because it takes strength in the inner man to say no to sin, to say no to adultery, to say no to drugs, to say no to alcohol, to say yes to forgiveness and not to be bitter. It takes a lot of strength. In the inner man to do that. Pray that. Then pray that Christ will dwell in their hearts by faith. Let's continue. I'll just read the rest of it. Try to not make too much comments. Verse number 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That you may be rooted and grounded in love. That's his third prayer request. First, strengthen with God's might the inner man. Second, that Christ would be real to them. He would be a part of their hearts, their thinking, their feelings, their desires. By faith. They would live by faith. And then they would be rooted and grounded in love. They would do what they do because of the love of Christ. And then they would understand or comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height. And to know what? The love of Christ. It passeth knowledge. It's beyond knowledge, but still to work at it. That ye may be filled with all the fullness of God. Verse 20, read it with me. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that would ask or think according to the power that, and who is in us. Yeah. The Holy Spirit is Christ in us, the hope of glory. You know, the thing I love about uh, Philippians 4, 13 was my dad's favorite verse. But it's not a verse just to said when you want to win a basketball game. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's not something you just want to climb a, a climbing wall. I can do all things. No, it's I can do anything God wants me to do. Anything he wants me to do, he will enable me to do it. And it's a wonderful truth. People say, I just can't take it anymore. You can do anything God wants you to do. I've had it. No, you can do anything God will strengthen you to do. You can live pure. You can break addictions. You can stay in a marriage. You can love a wife. You can respect and reverence a husband. Anything God, you can obey your mom and dad. Anything God wants you, you can do it by the power that worketh in us. It's a great prayer. May God help us.